Hi, I'm Dan Webster, film critic for Spokane Public Radio and blogger for Spokesman.com. And I'm Mary Pat Truthart, part-time film critic, full-time law professor at Gonzaga University School of Law. And I'm Nathan Weinbender, also a film critic for Spokane Public Radio. And welcome to Movies 101, the show that may prefer a food-as-fuel diet over anything rated by a Michelin star, but still knows the correct utensil to use at a gourmet dinner setting. That knowledge will come in handy as we discuss the gastronomic virtues of the French film The Taste of Things, which stars Juliette Binoche as a sublime 19th century country cook. It may not serve us quite as well when in the second half of the show we consider all the Oscar nominees for Best Live Action and Animation Short Films, but before we worry about that, let's turn the clock back to the 1880s French countryside. Directed by Vietnamese-born filmmaker An Hung Tran and adapted from the 1924 Marcel Rouff novel The Life and Passion of Dodin Buffon Gourmet, this French-language film, titled in English The Taste of Things, is the closest thing to what is lovingly referred to by culinary critics as the cinematic equivalent of food porn. Tron gives us our principles, Dodin, played by Benoit Magimel, and Eugénie, played by Juliette Binoche. He is a noted restaurateur, sometimes referred to as the Napoleon of gastronomy, and she is his kitchen partner, the one who takes his imaginative recipes and gives them life, whether they be a simple omelet or a seafood volovant, a large pastry shell filled with a thick sauce of crayfish and vegetables. Theirs is a 20-year partnership, one without the ties of matrimony, but with other benefits that include the praise of friends, widespread fame, and on those nights when her bedroom door isn't locked, a mutual sharing of a more physical quality. Tron, whose filmmaking style has a haunting sensibility, dating back to the luminous 1993 film The Scent of Green Papaya, succeeds in making the taste of things the Frenchiest of French films, pairing a love of food with the food of love itself, even if, like the best of meals, that love proves fleeting. The best advice that could be passed off to anyone thinking of seeing it is this— Make sure to go hungry with a reservation set afterward at your favorite eatery. That way you'll savor the tastes both of your palate and your soul. I probably did that part of the movie going experience wrong because I did go to see The Taste of Things having not eaten lunch yet. And I thought, oh, this is a movie that's filled with food and it's like two and a half hours long. I've made a mistake. So I ordered chicken fingers at the AMC concession stand <laughs> and I felt very, very classy eating those while watching this movie in which the characters, the, the characters are making these sophisticated, complicated meals. I know, uh, sacrilegious, you could say, uh, to what this movie is about. And I did enjoy this. I mean, I like cooking myself. I do most of the cooking at home. I don't think I've made anything as complicated as... one of the things that the Juliette Binoche character makes in this. And I almost wished that there had been subtitles on the screen saying what she was making and and, and what the methods were because there are these long, long scenes where we simply watch the characters preparing the food and some of the recipes have dozens upon dozens of steps. And because it's the 19th century, they can't just go to the grocery store and get their ingredients. You know, they live on a farm and they're cultivating a lot of this stuff. And so I really liked that part because it ties into sort of the meditative quality of Tron's filmmaking and also of just cooking itself. And it does sort of feel like a direct follow-up to his first film, as you mentioned, The Scent of Green Papaya, which was also this very meditative movie about 
uh, relationship between a woman and the family that she works for. But it also was very methodical in the way that it was about meals being prepared. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's kind of following through on those themes. So, yeah, there's like a whole half hour, 45 minutes at the beginning of this movie where we just watch this meal being prepared and consumed and several more throughout the taste of things. And those were my favorite parts of the movie. I was less enamored of the story itself about this relationship. The story between such these two as people. it is. Yeah, because I don't really think that either of those two characters become true human beings and discovering that this was based on a novel that was written at that time makes sense because it does sort of have that Victorian drawing room class melodrama element to it. I mean, this is a movie where Juliette Binoche basically coughs in act one. So we know what must happen (laughs) in act three, even though the two actors are really lovely together. And I did not know this, but they have a personal relationship Mm -hmm. dating back several decades. They share a child. Yeah. And so I think that comes through in the performances. So yeah, I mean, this is basically like a much more refined version of the Food Network. And if that's your thing, then the taste of things will speak to your palate if that metaphor follows through. I don't know if it does. But yeah, I, I mostly enjoyed this, the food parts of the movie I enjoyed. I liked a lot about this film, too, although the whole pretension of food culture is something that I can't really relate to. Yeah. Uh, Dan and I have members of your made family some, can, made some yeah. forays into that world, most notably by going to the Willows Inn, the infamous Willows Inn on Lumi Island where we had a 20-course meal. Uh, it was a 20-course tasting menu. Right, it okay. wasn't even a meal. Right, exactly. <laughs> we kept waiting for the main dish. And then at one point, the chef comes out, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know he was the chef, and he came over and he goes, so how are you liking the meal? And we had like a bowl of sticks, I swear. It was a bowl of sticks. And I was like, well, I've liked everything except this bowl of sticks. And I think that that was blasphemy because yeah. I was yeah. talking to the chef sure. who everyone else knew. Of course, well, this is the place that the menu was right. based on, movie, um, menu, and it was yeah. shut down because of all these various wage allegations and sexual harassment and you know so forth and so on. So I, I sort of associate the whole food porn thing with that experience, which is not really fair. Certainly not um, fair to this movie. No, it's not fair to this movie. And I do think that people who do like to watch the Food Network, who are foodies, will love, love this movie because we saw it with some other people who just thought it was beautiful and oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we And they're Francophiles did, too. And yeah. we did too, except you're right. In the end, like what's happening among the people who we encounter? Yeah, this- you're definitely supposed to feel something about their burgeoning romance. And I never really did. And I was sort of left wondering why that was. And I think it's because they are defined by the meals they make for one another as opposed to their actual relationship. Maybe that's their love language. That's it how is. They communicate. Absolutely. And this is definitely – The Taste of Things is definitely a movie about how we communicate through food. Yeah. And I think your reaction to The Taste of Things is based upon your perception of the characters. For one, you have to admire the independence of this woman who spurns the offer of marriage for 20 years and then, you know, and then gives in. But then that very giving in is the thing that leads to what you referred to when we saw the cough at the very beginning of the film. What really bugged me was you have this sense of independence, then following what is climactic in the film, the big moment is 
oh, well, life just goes on, so we'll just do other things with other people. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, fungible people? I thought this was a great love story. So there are problems. There are problems with the taste of things. But ultimately, it's just beautifully made. Tron is one great filmmaker. And I think that it really does focus on the simple pleasures of life. I mean, of course, they're doing this on a scale that's beyond what regular folks would do in the kitchen. But it really is sort of be in the now. And I appreciated that. I also liked the performance of the young girl who's this sort of chef in waiting. And I thought she was really impressive. Her name is Bonnie Chagnot-Revoir. I was hoping that you would uh, come up with that. but So we do know that the leads were a couple in real life. And apparently the denouement of their relationship was not all that comfortable. And so actually their daughter said that this was the first time she had seen her parents together in this particular setting (laughs) in a way that they were affectionate and loving toward one another. And you can go online and find interviews with them in which they're just sparring back and forth about, yeah, you know, why did I make this movie? I didn't think you'd want to. Well, why wouldn't you think I'd want, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) Maybe we need a documentary about that. I, I was also thinking while watching The Taste of Things, movies can be a sensory experience, but One of the senses that I think movies rarely communicate or try and communicate is taste. Mm -hmm. I mean, there aren't that many great food movies. Babette's Feast, Big Night, Tampopo, there are a few. (laughs) And I think the menu, which you mentioned earlier, isn't really about that. It's more of a put down of the culinary (laughs) pretension that you talked about. But this movie, I think, in the cooking and eating scenes, really communicates what it is like mm-hmm. to eat a meal that you can tell whoever made it put their soul into I, it. I would, also, tell I would also make the point that movies are perfect at doing just that, capturing food, because you see the food mm-hmm. and your own memory, it kicks in. So consequently, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but you can in your brain. And movies are very good at that, And, and just because of the movies that you just mentioned. Yeah, and there are moments in The Taste of Things where, like, Juliette Binoche pulls this beautiful, I don't know, it's like a rack of lamb or something. Pork loin. Uh, it's pork loin out of the oven, and you can kind of hear, like, a murmur throughout the audience. <laughs> like, oh, that looks really good. So, yeah, I would yeah, agree. Yeah. You're well, going to want to Even among the vegetarians. Yeah, so I think, yeah. I think fans of The Bear, for example, this has the food aspect of that, but without the human drama. And I <laughs> kind of like the human drama feature of course you do. to these types of films. Yeah, yeah. That was our discussion of the French film The Taste of Things. This is Movies 101, and it's time to take a short break. Before we go, remember that you can access podcasts to Movies 101 by going online at SpokanePublicRadio.org. While there, check out the individual reviews that Nathan and I write. Don't do it now, though, because we'll be right back to preview the Oscar nominees for Best Live Action and Best Animation Short Films. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. And we're back. This is Movies 101, and I'm your host, Dan Webster. During the first half of the show, Mary Pat Truthart, Nathan Weinbinder, and I discussed the French film The Taste of Things. Let's now turn to this week's study of something Oscar, namely the Best Live Action and Best Animated Shorts nominees. 
First, let me just run down the nominees for live action. The After, a UK film starring David Oyelowo as a man grieving after an unspeakable tragedy. Invincible, a French-Canadian film that features a troubled teenager. Night of Fortune, a Danish film about two guys who are grieving husbands. Red, White, and Blue, a U.S. film in which Brittany Snow stars as a woman seeking an abortion. And then finally, we have The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, the U.S. film, Wes Anderson's adaptation of the famous Roald Dahl short story. So, MP, what did you really like the most? I think my favorite of this group was actually Invincible. And so it is about a teen who as you mentioned, is definitely troubled and sort of trying to make a connection with other humans in the world. And it's really the performance of the teen boy. Um, Let me try it. Leokim Baumier Lupin. Okay, thank you very much. That makes this work. (laughs) Because I'm not sure about the ending, which is foreshadowed from the very beginning. But yeah, I thought that that... Well, his performance is stupendous. Yeah, it was. And I don't think that this is a particularly strong lineup. I think that the other film that I appreciated, and it is probably the more political film, is Red, White, and Blue... And that, as you said, features Brittany Snow, who is forced to go out of state in order to access reproductive health care. And I like the way that that sort of played out in terms of the relationship among the family members and so forth. But, yeah, so those were my two favorites. Yeah, I would agree that this wasn't the strongest live-action shorts program we've seen. I mean, we already reviewed the Wes Anderson Roald Dahl shorts. Only one of them has been nominated. I think it's far and away the best of the five. Oh, best made, certainly. Uh, Absolutely. And and obviously he has an advantage being Wes Anderson. Um, That's right. uh, This will be his probably only chance to ever win an Academy Award for directing. And so I wonder about that because he has a leg up because he's the most – recognized name amongst the nominees as far as directors are concerned. But the Academy loves not giving Wes Anderson awards. So I'm really curious about how this will shake out because these categories are hard to predict. But it's no comparison, though, between the quality of of this one and the other four. It is so complex with a cast of Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Richard Iodi, Ray Fiennes, Ben Kingsley. I mean, it's an amazing short film. Yeah, it's its own thing. I would also say that my next favorite after that would be the French film Invincible about this troubled teen. Sort of reminded me of like a Dardenne Brothers kind of fly on the wall film. You mentioned The After starring David Oyelowo, which his performance could also give that film a leg up. I thought that was easily the least of the five. One of those just manipulative, overly sentimental films about a really serious subject. That one I thought was just not good. Uh, and so I I think his involvement is probably what got it nominated, but I'm sure there were others that I, I like I like Night of place. Fortune too because uh, yeah. you know it was That's about the two movie. husbands uh, right. at the mortuary yeah. where their yeah, wives and, are. I mean there's a lot of cuteness to it, but there's also some humor to it also. But we have to – man, all these are dark films. Yeah. I mean – Well, and then we haven't even gotten to the animated films no. yet. But there's not much levity in the animated film program this year I either. I know. It's like police. Yeah. You're supposed to yeah. throw one in in the sequence, you yeah. know? Like the yeah. third film in is yeah. supposed to be what? somewhat uh, uplifting. Something of a reprieve. Well, yeah. let, me, let me run down the animated nominees. First of all, we have Our Uniform from Iran in which a young girl describes her life in her home country by looking at the uniform she has to wear at school. The Israeli 
Israeli-French film called Letter to a Pig, in which a Holocaust survivor describes his experience to a class of bored middle schoolers, and yet one girl takes the thought and goes into a dream world of her own. Pachyderm, another French film in which a dark film which a woman recalls a summer she spent at her grandparents' house. 95 Senses, a U.S. film which features an old man reminiscing about his life and what brought him to his soon-to-be-resolved fate in I don't want to give away too much. And then finally, War is Over, which is inspired by the music of John and Yoko, in which a pigeon is used as the go-between between two soldiers on opposite sides of a war. And they're playing chess. It's a little obvious. At any rate, what did you think of these? I thought this was a stronger package of shorts than, than the, the live-action live action ones. Yeah, I really liked almost all of them. I can't really decide on a favorite because I think the thing that works really well in the four that I liked were the details in the story. So, for instance, Pachyderm, which is this really haunting, nightmarish short about this little girl's summer. We talked about sensory details in the first part of the show. It's full of them in really evocative ways, and it has a subtlety to it that yeah. none of the live-action films do, and it's about something we that's had also a discussion. harrowing. After we saw it, we had a discussion. What is it Mary really Pat, about? Yeah, Mary yeah. Pat was going, it's about this, yes. and I'm going, are you yes. sure? Yeah. Um, and I thought Letter to a Pig was also really interesting, including the sort of mixed-media style that they use where there's sort of some film footage and photographs that merge with these kind of scratchy pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. I, I, that one is a little more obvious in what it's trying to say, but I thought the whole thing was really memorable. And then and 95 our, Senses, which is, I should say, directed by the people that made Napoleon Dynamite yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, that seems uh, so improbable to me. With Tim Blake Nelson yeah, as the yeah. voice and, of this old great, man. And that's a story voice. that seems like it's going to be this kind of, ah, shucks, yeah, country yeah. charm story. And it also takes a dark yeah, turn. So, yeah, yeah, not much levity here. But I, I, you, you didn't mention our uniform, which yeah, I, I, I really that, one. that was Mary Pat. That really worked for the, you, didn't The design it? of yeah. that was really neat. And it was the first one that we saw in this yeah. series. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very very ingeniously put together because it's sort of like a trip using a uniform as like the pathway. The texture Um, of all the fabrics and buttons and Um, things. And it is political because it's talking about Iran and what's happening there. But at the same time, there was a sweetness to it against this backdrop of, like, horror. Yeah, like the childlike kind of innocence. It reminded me of that film Persepolis, mm-hmm. the, the animated film that was also about That's Iran. right. Marianne Satrapi. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. you think of the way that some of the great Iranian filmmakers have oh. approached mm-hmm. these topics through the eyes mm-hmm. of children. Yes, mm-hmm. the children of heaven. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. white as, balloon. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. as you say, Mary Beth, there was a darkness to it, but also, as you point out, there's a lightness to it, too. I'm remembering one moment in which the teacher comes up to the young girl and a little bit of hair is out the front of her hijab, and so she pulls it down, and then you see a ponytail, or, yeah, yeah. not a ponytail, but a pigtail going off the back. So she pulls it down <laughs> to cover that up, and then the hair goes out front, and it's just that little moment of rebellion that you know that middle schoolers can get away with, but as they get older, they have to switch to the darker hijabs and, you know, life is going to get very serious. I guess I'll bring up the one that we haven't talked about yet, which I assume is probably the front runner in this category of animated short film. Seems improbable. Which is, uh, War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko. Now, you should know that based on that title, I was excited for this one. Of course. Um, and I thought this was by far the worst one. Not only does it look like sort of a Pixar knockoff, that's Mm -hmm. clearly the style they're going for, but that whole conceit of the pigeon 
delivering chess moves back and forth. Also, seems like there could be something kind of cute and inventive there. I don't really think it pays off except in an extremely obvious final allegorical image. And it's all about, you know, like the Christmas truce during the war. And then the... When the song finally plays at the end, I thought, oh, brother, this is the only reason this got made is because you were able to license it. And Sean Lennon, I believe, was involved in the yeah, production yeah, yeah. here. So that one did not work for me. Ergo, I think it will win. Yeah, I think <laughs> that, 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 tends to be, that tends to be my uh, when I'm filling out like an Oscar pool ballot. That tends to be my strategy. Right. <laughs> oh, your default? Yeah, yeah kind of. OK. There was also in the program that we saw, there were also two additional ones. And I like the Wild Summon. Yeah. Um, it's about salmon migration. And for whatever reason, I mean, it's sort of metaphorical. I like the way that it was made and so forth. But obviously, that's not in contention. And no, then no. the other one, I'm hip. No, no, thank you. That was not my <laughs> no, fave by any you means. Know, that struck me also as a Pixar film, but so totally light without really any. All the references are to 1950s hip cat kinds of things. And it's like, who was the audience for this film? You know, that's 70 years ago. Please. Does the cat say daddy-o at any point? He might as might well have. have. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I'm curious now. I kind of alluded to the movies that I, or the shorts rather, that I think are actually going to win. Do you have any predictions? Well, I don't have any idea about the animated one. But I think you're probably right. I think that probably the John and Yoko one will win. Well, I don't know. I mean, Letter to a Pig could get some traction here because I think just the way that it's crafted, you know, it's about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. I think that we know in the past that that has been a topic that people gravitate toward because it's hard to deal with, especially in an animated setting. And I thought Mm -hmm. that, you know, that was well done. It wasn't my favorite, but I thought that that was really well presented. So basically we've given nobody any helpful hints when they're filming out there. Right, right. Oscar pool, like these categories are always up in the air. So I don't know. Best of luck to you. Yeah. At any rate, that was our preview of the Oscar-nominated selections for Best Live Action and Best Animated Short Films. Next week, we'll tackle the Best Doc Shorts. This is Movies 101. I'm Dan Webster, and earlier in the show, Nathan Weinbender, Mary Pat Truthart, and I discussed the French film The Taste of Things. Let's take this moment to thank Cassia Fox for both producing and engineering the show, and we thank you to our loyal listeners. We invite you back next week, same time, same spot on the radio dial, and we'll again check out all the best that cinema has to offer wherever we can find it. Until then, consider these words from the late, great Anthony Bourdain. Your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. You're listening to Movies 101 on Spokane Public Radio. The Movies 101 podcast is made possible by the members of Spokane Public Radio. Become a member at spokanepublicradio.org. Thanks for listening to Movies 101.